Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Six principles we're going to look at. Proverbs chapter 3, a very familiar passage of Scripture. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. I've gotten in trouble uh, by not obeying that verse many a times. I'm sure you can relate to that as well because we lean on what we think we understand. We, we all can relate to that. That's why the Bible says, uh, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. And that's tough because a lot of times we believe our conclusions because they're ours are right. Because we're a Christian, they're right. It, it, it's not easy to, this is, all the kids memorize this verse, this familiar passage of scripture for Christians, but it's, if you really think about it, it's a hard verse to live and obey. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Did we do that all last week, let alone all of 2020? It's hard. But nonetheless, the Bible does say, and he shall direct thy paths. Uh, this message of church growth is just, I, I, it has become a landmine of heresy. <laughs> It's almost become taboo to talk about. And so being me and being my personality, I figured we tackle it. We talk about it. Now, we have many factors that are preventing our church growth locally and personally. One of them is the coronavirus scare. There's the fear that people have. Number two, there's the coronavirus guidelines and restrictions that are affecting probably more churches than ours here in Tennessee. The other thing, uh, the other factor we have working against us is that we're small to begin with. Typically, people want. Look, I understand we're not supposed to come to church for us, but let's face it, we all do. <laughs> there is that element. There is that layer that. I come to church. I want to see other people. You come to church. You want to see other people. That's OK. That's healthy. That's healthy. We don't want to make it just about us, but let's face it, it is. So because we're small in number, that factor does work against us. If a mom has two or three or four kids, guess what she wants to have in a church? Other families with one or two or three or four kids. When the senior saints come, guess what they want to have? Other senior saints that they can relate to and talk to and this is why it's healthy to have a church of all age categories. The younger can learn from the older. Not only does a young mom want to come in with her kids and see other young moms with kids, but she wants to look around and she wants to see some gray hair because she wants to get some guidance. She wants to get some wisdom. A dad wants to look around and see, oh, there's a there, there's a granddad here. There's a great granddad here. And, and there's. Not necessarily that there's problems pressing that people want to talk about, but there's a healthy growth when you have that. So we should be praying to that end. Um, and I can go on and on of some external factors that are hindering our church growth. But here's what I'd like to say about that. We can't control those external factors. We can't. So we can either, A, stress ourselves out over that. If we tried, the group of us, 
to plant a palm tree in Tennessee, it's not going to work. Now, if we do that in Florida, it'll work. And you look at the soil, we can't change that factor. We can't import soil from Florida and bring it here and import their, their um, climate. And it's impossible. So rather than stressing ourselves out trying to plant a palm tree, we should try to plant whatever it is they grow here in Tennessee that they can't grow in Florida. Those are those external factors that we can't change. We can't control this. But here's what we can control. We should make church life positive. You see, you, and you know, I, I, look, I love to slam sin. I preacher at least loves to give you the other side and, and preach against sin and, and all that. And you know, I'm for that. But I'm also for we need to have a positive culture here. We need to have some encouragement. People need to come here and be uplifted and then leave more encouraged. And those of you that have known me for any length of time know that I don't mean this is just going to be all sprinkles and rainbows because life isn't. But we still need to give people some encouragement, some uplifting positivity in their life. The world beats them up all week. We, we can control that. But at the same time, we need to be real. We need to be authentic. And we need to be biblically based. And we can do both of that, that and those factors we can control. All right, first Corinthians. Chapter number 10. Verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. How do we create a healthy church, healthy church growth and a healthy church family? People need to be able to leave with some tools so they can tackle the game of life better. And we need to be able, this is healthy. People need biblically based principles and tools so they can go out and tackle life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look what it says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. I get tempted. You get tempted. Any visitors that come in will get tempted. We have to let them know it's common to me, to you, to everyone. But God is faithful. And that is how they can tackle this game of life, knowing that God is faithful. The more we magnify the faithfulness of our God, the less our temptations and sorrows and problems of life seem that big. The big, big giant isn't as bad. It, 
isn't a match for our big, big, big God who is faithful. They can get, we, we need to culture this to create healthy church growth so people can go out and tackle the problems of life. It's common to all of us. That's why the Bible says, like we looked at in the beginning, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. People need to know what their next step is. Creating healthy church growth means giving people something to do. Raising kids, they wake up in the morning. If you don't give them something to do, they're going to get into trouble. They're going to fuss. They're going to, when kids go to school, if they go to a school, the teacher says, sit down. What do I do next? Take out your pencil. What do I do next? Open your math book. What do I do next? Problem one. They need things to do. That's why the Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Many of us have been through this at some point in our Christian walk. I have. Either in the beginning when we first get saved or in the middle when we get discouraged or at the season in life we're in now. Or if this isn't if this isn't you yet, it will be. All of us go through this at some point where we think we're just going to go to church. I know I should be in church. I want to hear the message. I know I need to hear Bible truth. And then I'm going to go home. And I've been through seasons like that. But we have to create a culture where if our church is going to grow healthy, people are being doers of the word. So my question to you is, what are you doing? My question to me is, what am I doing? I'm asking myself the same question. It can't be. Well, it can be. But I'm, I'm begging the question that it can't be. All we do is come to church, and that's it. So what are you doing? Who are you talking to? Who are you reaching out with? Who are you getting with in the middle of the week? Because we want to be doers of the word, not hearers only. I'm going to come back to that thought in a minute. But uh, it'll tie in with, the, with one of our final points. But I want to move on to follow up. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. Um, the Bible says in verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. That means everybody isn't a, isn't a teacher. Everybody is an evangelist. Everybody. OK, so we get that. But verse 12 says for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till, we'll, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I need some perfecting. Do you? Uh, I need some edifying. Do you? I want to come into more knowledge. Do you? I believe in unity. Do you? 
All of those key words, I believe in, look at the stature, the fullness of Christ. All of that tells us that none of us are perfect. I'm going to go back to that point in, in another point. But in order to get there, especially if new people come in, which is what we want, there needs to be some follow-up. There needs to be a phone call. There needs to be a text message. Needs to be an email. Needs to be a small group. Needs to be an evangelistic effort. And you can fill in the blanks with some other things that would be equally good as well. But the bottom line is Romans 8:29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of him of his son. When the Bible talks about predestination, it never refers to where we're going to go, but who we are going to be. <laughs> and he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. And that doesn't happen just in a Sunday school lesson or in a church service. This conforming happens outside of the four walls of the church house. We want to be conformed in his image in order for that to happen. We need some follow-up, follow-up. Acts chapter 12. We need to pray for God's presence. Look at verse number one. Now, about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now, there's the context for the point in verse number five. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Two key points I'd like to draw out of this is that's a raw deal. Peter's in jail. What did they do? Two things. They prayed. And the church didn't stop going on. And we need to really think about that. Things happen. The church still has to go on. Things happen. We got to pray. We can't do one without the other. Both are important. I don't even like to think about it or say it. But it came to my mind and I'm, I think it's applicable. But I don't want to get the coronavirus and end up dying. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I mean, I'm not scared of the virus. I want to try to live and function within what we've got. But I don't want to get it and die. But if I do, the church has to go on. You can't stop and just pray for my wife and kids. And that's it. You got to pray for my wife and kids and continue on with the church. <laughs> you can't do one without the other. Both things have to occur. Even in the midst of a raw deal, tough time. 
The Bible says, well, loneliness is huge right now. In our days, right now, it's huge. Families are breaking down. People are isolating more a lot because of it's required. And then a lot because people are afraid. And, 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 and some are just forced into it. But nonetheless, people are struggling with this. And we must find meaningful relationships. We must be able to do that. We can do that in a local church. How do we do that? Well, it's really as simple about making friends. And so we need to pray for the presence of God. What do you do if you don't have any friends? What do you do if you're lonely? You pray for the presence of God. Now, I'm not trying to get super deep the, the, um, theological with you, but it's really, I don't want to say it's that simple, but it starts with that, and it's that simple. Because a lot of times, young people and even older people, they get into trouble because they're lonely, they don't have any friends. And because of that, they end up getting involved with the crowd that they should be involved with. I was a rebellious teenager. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching about myself. <laughs> I was lonely. I didn't have any friends. I found some friends, all right, that would embrace and teach and model. And then the next thing you know, I'm embracing and teaching. And you know how it goes. You know how it goes. So. Is it wrong to want friends? No. Is it wrong to say, hey, I'm lonely. I need some help. No. Those are real things. So look, when people come to church, they need to know that they can make some friends. How do we make friends? Well, it'd be a lot easier for Brother Wesley, for example. He's college age young man to take another college age group out to lunch where they can hang out. It'd be a lot easier for him than it would be for me. The senior saints, it'd be a lot easier for uh, you know, two, two ladies that are in their seventies or eighties to go out for tea and for lunch. What am I going to do? It, it, you see what I mean? Like we can grow healthily if that's a word, and we can help people overcome their loneliness and we can help people make some friends if we first show ourselves friendly. How do you do that? There's many ways. I don't have the answer to every way. I know we can do it. The Bible says in Matthew 11, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. All right, ready for the next point? Inviting and evangelism. Let's go over to Luke chapter 14. The Bible says in Luke 14, verse 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled.
inviting people. Inviting people. Is there a difference between inviting people to church and inviting people to Jesus? There is. We need to be careful. We're not just in the culture of, hey, come to church, come to church, come to church. We never tell people to come to Jesus. What should we do? We should try to do both, but we all know it's more important. Hey, come to Jesus. Here's what he can do for you. Here's the free gift that he offers. Invite people to come to Christ rather than just inviting them to come to church. Now, I'm all for if we invite somebody out, it'd be great if they can sit in a church and they can hear the gospel and hear Bible preaching. Hebrews 10 says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to have a culture of inviting and a culture of evangelism. There's many ways to do that. Many ways. I'm not saying you have to knock on doors. I'm not saying you have to be on a college campus. But I am saying find a way. Talk to somebody that's in your sphere about Jesus. Okay, let's go over to Psalms chapter 19. Psalm 19. Last point I want to make to this morning is your vibe is your tribe. <laughs> Whatever vibe you put out, that's 10. Uh, you, you, you tend to attract that. Your vibe is your tribe. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Words. And then the meditation of our heart. I've said things, and in my heart, I'm thinking something else. So have you. And we need to have both. Our words need to line up with our heart meditations. And a lot of times, people pick up on the vibe or the culture or the, hmm, what's up with that? We have to have a vibe of open arms. Now, I know the modern church take this, take this and basically means Hey, we're all inclusive. Everybody's welcome. We're not going to judge you. Well, everybody is welcome. Uh, and when we go through the Bible, you're going to hear what the judge says. <laughs> and that is going to butt heads with you. It should. As I was talking about earlier, it's not all, you know, chocolate and pretzels. There is the Bible, the word of truth that comes into contact with mankind. And now there's the head buddy. And we realize, uh-oh, this is hard to hear. This is hard to swallow. This is convicting. Now, the modern church as a whole has just taken that whole thing out. In other words, they've recognized that. Look, if you preach against sin, if you point out to people that the Bible says, and that hurts their feelings, we'll just leave that out. And everything will be about being positive and encouraging and uplifting. You see, like we said in the beginning, we want to be positive, encouraging, uplifting, right? 
but not at the expense of leaving out other Bible truth. So we do want to have open arms. Everybody is welcome. But that doesn't mean you're welcome to come and tell the Bible this is how it should go. The Bible should polish and sharpen and kind of convict us. Well, it should convict us to do right. People need to be made to feel welcome and that our church, it's a safe place. Be, they need to be able to trust us and get a good vibe of what's going on. All churches that are healthy churches should be able to relay that. It's a safe place, a healthy place. It's a good place to be. What does that start with? It starts with all of us. Not only our words, but the meditations of our hearts. It starts with all of us. Psalm 122, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hey, are we going to have a great time here or not? It's about being happy. It's about being glad. We got to have a culture and a vibe of friendliness, of happiness, of gladness. So that people pick up on that vibe. I was glad when they said unto me. A lot of people say, when go to church, I'm not going to church, man. <laughs> they ain't glad. We got to show them, yeah, there's some gladness. First John chapter four, last point I want to make. First John chapter four. First John chapter four. Verse number seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, whatever you think about this season or time or month or day, the fact of the matter remains, this world wants to get rid of anything that has to do with Christ and him coming as the Savior. That's why they say Merry Xmas. That's why they say Happy Holidays. They don't want to mention the name of Christ. That's why the restrictions say no chanting. Why? Because pagans chant. And they don't want to mention prayer in the guideline. They don't want to say no prayer. Why? Christians pray. They want to get any connotation whatsoever about Christ completely out of this world. Well, how are you going to do that and get a definition of love that's biblical? Answer, you and I ain't. So we need to keep Christ in everything. 
in everything may he have the preeminence. What this world has done, and what well, I'm not even going to go down this rabbit trail, but we've selected one or two days out of the year where Christ is supposed to have the preeminence. How about every day? How about every week? How about every month he has the preeminence? You know, I'm really feeling like I'm in a good mood today. because, Well, how about every day feel that because Christ has given you his abiding Holy Spirit? We can't understand love unless Christ is in it. And know what he did? The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, in the context, from verse 7 all the way to this verse, how many times do we see the word love? So when somebody asks you, I just want to feel love. I just want to know what love is. I just want to be happy. Bring them to this verse. Do you know that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world? Everybody looks at this life in either the now or they look at this life in this is when I think I'm going to die. Well, I'll live to 80. I'll live to 90. I'll live to 100. Most people don't think they're going to live past 100. So what they do is they try to plan their life based on the now or, well, look, I got 20 years left. I got 30 years left. I got 40 years left. So I'll just do this. Well, guess what? Draw that line and then go into eternity. It's a lot, a lot longer. That's why people need to know the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Because eternity is a lot longer. Whosoever shall confess. That Jesus is the son of God. God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. I can't think of a better Christmas message. <laughs> the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Now, whether you believe it happened in December or not December, it's not the point. Whether you believe you should do it or not do it, that's not the point. The point is, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You know what people are thinking about right now? More than anything else? Yeah, presence. Maybe that's an overstatement. You know what they would consider thinking about more than anything else in the world right now? Christ and the Savior. Why? It's December and we're getting close to the 25th. And no matter how you slice it, it's either Christmas or Easter that most people will even consider stepping into the four walls of a church house. There is no fear in love, but for perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. He that loveth not his brother whom he hath sent, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Do we love people? Are we compassionate about people? God did. God is love. That's the essence of who he is. That is his character. If we want our church to grow biblically and we want to have a healthy church growth, we need to love people. And be compassionate about people and be able to tell people the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Wouldn't that be great to put on a little card or a little note or a little email or text message 
to someone that you know needs to hear that. That's that culture of inviting. God loved the world. He sent his son. Father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.